0: Hello, Dr. Ricky Aronson, and welcome to another episode of Happy Healthy Ever After, a seriously humorous guide to heterosexual love, gender differences, and sex. In today's episode, the second part of Why Couples Fight, I'll be covering diverse and fascinating topics like why do women nag? Why do couples fight about money? about husbands wanting smarter cars, about toilets? Are men really from Mars and women from Venus? And why do couples fight about jealousy and what can you do about that? A common cause of conflict is the so-called men are from Mars source of conflict, based on the book Men Are From Mars and Women Are From Venus that describe the need for men to retreat to their caves. There is a traditional idea that men require time and space to recover when they get back from work at the end of a long day. They are still in the zone and their minds preoccupied with the travails of their workday. Some want to sit on the couch and read the news on their phones. Others retreat to their workshops. But in today's world, many women have also endured a hard day at work or spent their entire day taking care of children. Those women who work may want some time to decompress as well those who have spent the day with kids usually look forward to the return of their husbands for some emotional connection and adult conversation. Childcare requires incredibly hard work. So women are excited when their husbands get home that they might get some relief. Or when both spouses get home from work together, it's still often the wife who is left to cook dinner and bathe the children. That's unfair. Conflict occurs because there is a mismatch of expectations. Couples that can identify their expectations and figure out how to fulfill the needs of both spouses are in the best position to avoid clashing. If the wife wants conversation while the husband wants time to unwind, let him use his commute home to listen to music or meditate, then be ready to walk in the door with open arms and ears. I used to get home from work and my wife was waiting with excited anticipation to tell me something important or discuss an issue. My mind was often preoccupied with work and I felt fatigued from the exertions of the day, so my inclination was to engage with her in a distracted and uninterested fashion. I learned quickly that if you try to get away with zoning out while your wife is talking and answering yes to all questions, you will eventually face a 100% chance of giving the wrong answer. Women have learned to check if husbands are really listening by throwing in a trick question that requires an either or answer, just to test out whether the husband's mind is orbiting planet bikini girl or if he's paying attention to her. The unsuspecting husband who just answers yes is thereby nailed. After being married for a while, I learned to remind myself to put down my phone, look my wife in the eyes and give her my full attention. This is the opposite of retreating to a cave, but such an important relationship building strategy. What about nagging as a source of conflict? A wise man once taught me that wives nag their husbands when they are not completely happy. This logically means that it is the husband's fault that his wife is nagging him. A happy wife is a happy life. The reality is nagging can happen for a variety of reasons. As we've discussed, women who feel that they aren't receiving enough positive attention are frustrated that their efforts go unnoticed and underappreciated. In most cases, if husbands go out of their way to make their wives feel valued and appreciated, they are less likely to be nagged. Guys, part of the solution is taking the concerns and needs of your partner seriously. Another cause of nagging has to do with the mothering instinct. Nurturing can take the form of fussing and nagging children and by extension, husbands who act like children. But may I remind the men, if you are taking advantage of the magic of a warm-hearted wife and mother, this is a small price to pay. So bear with it. Some wives nag because their husbands are slovenly and hoggish. There may be no deeper psychology. Blokes are quite talented at being pigs, but this isn't an ability worth developing. Sals are big fans of handsome pigs, but human women, not so much. They don't like porcine qualities quite as much. There are three solutions here. First, a lady distressed by her husband's lack of participation in domestic efforts could let him know about Ohio a concept I learned from the Oprah Winfrey show. Ohio means only handle it once. Men, if you pick up something, don't dump it somewhere else. Put it away where it belongs. Women, using the expression Ohio is economical and irritating to husbands, so they might try harder to avoid hearing it repeated. Ohio is actually a good general principle for all-round efficiency. Good management systems avoid multiple handling of tasks. Secondly, as I've stated above, husbands need to recognize that it's their responsibility to share the housework. Understanding firsthand what goes into domestic upkeep will lead to having a greater appreciation for what wives do in the home. It's all about priorities. If a man values his relationship, he'll invest the time and effort to rectify the issues bothering his wife. Thirdly, praise and thanks go a long way. All humans need to feel valued, and women are no exception. Husbands will find that gifts of flowers and expressions of gratitude and admiration for the miraculous beings that are wives will reap untold rewards, and one of them is likely to be less nagging about messiness. On a more serious note, nagging can sometimes be an expression of a deeper relationship problem. If a woman senses a loss of control of a certain aspect of the relationship, she might compensate by trying to over-control other areas through continuous nagging. In any case, nagging as an attempt to, to gain greater control is often an expression of stress or anxiety. Making a diagnosis of the underlying problem through sensitive dialogue is a key to finding a solution. Don't shout at nagging wives, guys. Try to find out what's bothering her. If she's feeling insecure or unloved, rebuking her certainly won't improve the situation. Unfortunately, men often become sullen and withdrawn in response to nagging. This can be counterproductive and exacerbate the problem if a wife is feeling insecure. He makes her concerns worse with his inattention, so she nags him incessantly about the mess in the house because she craves attention. If he then engages, it's likely to be negatively. Yes, he's engaging, but that dynamic is dysfunctional. Nagging can also result if either spouse is unreasonably possessive. This is a generally destructive trait because it results in efforts to over-control a partner and restrict their personal liberty. Some possessive men can be abusive. Possessive women risk driving their husband away as they seek to control them to the point that the relationship becomes unmanageable. As with any management model, marriage needs to allow both partners to express their individuality. Allow your partner to develop their talents and enjoy their hobbies. Your relationship will benefit if they feel happy, fulfilled, and liberated. Fights about money are extremely common and a cause of divorce for many relationships. Good communication and collaboration on your family's financial planning are the solution. It's usually preferable for couples to maintain open dialogue about their financial aspirations and priorities, if the husband suddenly says he wants to buy an expensive car despite the prospect of being unable to afford his children's college edu- education, if a husband suddenly says he wants to buy an expensive car despite the prospect of being unable to afford his children's college education, or the wife has purchased 130 pairs of shoes, this may illustrate a profound incompatibility of values. Couples need to discuss and agree on their long-term financial values and life aspirations preferably before they get married. In my view, the most important financial strategy in marriage is to foster a sense of so-called collective achievement. This is a business management construct that we're all in this together. We rise and fall as one. This can't happen if each spouse is constantly worrying about how the other is spending their money. But please tell my wife that an expensive coffee machine is a basic human right, not a luxury. In most cases, when a couple teams up, positive solutions will be found. Even if the financial situation is bad, they have each other. Fighting adversity as a team will bond them and reduce conflict. They may discover that their financial problems are not as bad as they thought. They may agree on priorities. Most importantly, they will start working together and this will strengthen their relationship. They may even have a side effect that they'll upskill their financial management, which will improve their situation. Having a direction and plan together will provide focus and reassurance. If agreement cannot be reached, it may be useful to seek professional help, be that from a financial advisor or a marriage counselor. Another big argument for couples is climate change. Most couples fight about environmental temperature regulation. Husbands are hot all the time and want the air conditioner on. Their wives feel cold, wear jumpers in warm weather, and fight to have the air conditioner turned off. This can be an irreconcilable difference that impacts the entire family because mothers force jumpers on resistant, overheated sons who want to run around in their underwear or less. There are biological reasons for this conflict. Men have a higher basal metabolic rate, denser sweat gland mass, less relative surface area, more muscle mass, and different hormonal regulation. Indeed, sometimes female thermoregulation goes the other way after menopause, and the roles are reversed, with the husbands losing muscle and becoming cold all the time, and the women suffering from hot flushes. When it comes to climate change, my wife has tried to treat me unsuccessfully with psychotherapy. Each summer, she repeatedly tells me that I am not hot. My profuse sweating tells a different story, and this brainwashing technique has proven entirely unsuccessful. Mostly, we resolve this dispute by allowing the Supreme Leader to have her way with us. The air conditioner remains off for most of the summer. Our boys perspire in discomfort, while the wife continues her semi-benevolent reign in environmental comfort. When wives leave the home, many husbands head to the fridge to grab a beer. I head straight for the on button on the air conditioner. Many couples fight about driving and cars. Men believe that they are better drivers and they get angry if their wives criticize their driving. Couples also fight because women simply do not understand cars. Wife, why do you need a new car? Your current one drives fine. Husband, it does, but it just isn't a Porsche. Another typical couple conflict is about who is hot and who is not. I'm not talking about the temperature here, but jealousy. It's normal to find glamorous people attractive. The acquisition of a marriage certificate will not change this. The attempt by many wives to castrate their husbands with psychological warfare will not lead to any reduction in the male appetite for enjoying the sight of beautiful women. It's undeniable that most people care a lot about how they and other people look. Looks do count. We all know this, whatever the propaganda. You can judge what people value by where they invest. People spend zillions of dollars, time and energy on fashion, beauty, dieting, plastic surgery, so they clearly care a lot about how they look to others. It's constructive for each partner to accept that the other will continue to find other people attractive because nobody can win a fight against reality. Modern men must come to terms with the fact that their wives are in love with Chris Hemsworth. If both partners learn to laugh about this together, rather than succumbing to jealousy, the likelihood of cheating will be reduced. If you attempt to suppress your partner's physical attraction to others, you are seeking an unrealistic outcome and the result will be resentment. This may increase the risk of infidelity, the very thing you are trying to combat. However, inasmuch as you cannot defeat human nature, you can adapt your attitude and behavior. Everyone should exercise due sensitivity to their partner's insecurities. It is neither desirable nor advisable to flaunt your attraction to people outside your marriage, particularly if your partner feels angst about the issue. Couples that engage in healthy discussions and laughter are better off, but not everyone feels comfortable about these matters. Good relationships require taking care of the needs of each other, so try to accommodate how your partners feel. Some couples fight because the wife regards herself as an expert on the beauty of other women. Come on, stop staring. She's not that pretty. I don't know why you men find her so attractive. Meanwhile, men know which women look good to them. We've been doing this since an early age. Much of our attention is consumed in this specialist pursuit, and we have great expertise about which women are attractive. So there's no point challenging us. And besides, it's useless to tell a man that he shouldn't find a beautiful woman that attractive. Interestingly, males seem to have far more congruence in their taste than vice versa. In most cases, you can take a beautiful woman and show her to any man in any country and he will agree that she's gorgeous. In contrast, women have much wider tastes in men. Some like tall, dark and handsome, others like wealth, power, charisma. I find it interesting to hear women debating male looks. They have such strong views. He's not good looking at all. I can't see what you see in him. In this regard, men are superior. You'll seldom hear men joining such a debate to argue, no, that guy is better looking than that one. We have appalling taste in male looks on average. Some couples may fight because the man has terrible bedroom habits. Utilizing a brilliant energy-saving technique, some men are able to reverse evolutionary process and transform back into giant flightless dinosaurs when transferring from the floor into the bed. First, he takes up a strategic position next to the bed. Then he detaches both legs from the ground, engages gravity, and plummets onto the bed with the weight of a small brontosaurus. His wife, who is lying peacefully under the bedclothes, is jettisoned high into the air, emitting a pterodactyl-like squawk. During the night, male bedroom etiquette can cause misery and despair. There may be sudden odors within the sheets that make the wife think that a garbage truck has been parked there. Hubby's trips to the bathroom involve another propulsion of the blanket and draft of cold air, followed by thundering dinosaur footsteps down the hall. Well, let me tell you this. It isn't just men who have irritating bedroom habits. Women do too. Like accusing guys of snoring. We do not. And we would know if we did. And why do wives come to bed dressed as impenetrably as Fort Knox when husbands are feeling amorous? Surely they couldn't be trying to send us a message. And how do all these clothing layers even work? Men just pull on some pants and a shirt. Women are really good at giving instructions. So how come we never get taught how to unravel these complex female garments? And why do wives insist on getting out of bed in the morning to do industrious things like making school lunches and getting children ready for school, when we husbands have so many better ideas about what could be achieved if they stayed in bed a few minutes longer? And finally. Nail filing in bed. I mean, WTF, if there is one female antidote to the male libido, it's the power of the anti-aphrodisiac nature of nail filing. Another reason why couples fight is about toilets and bowel habits. For unclear physiological reasons, women can perform their ablutions efficiently and inconspicuously, whereas a man's trip to the toilet is formally announced and requires pomp, ceremony, and about Twenty minutes. The resultant radiation fallout zone poisons the entire floor, making it uninhabitable. If at all practical, wives should be allowed the dignity of their own bathroom and toilet, with the second-class citizens, men, banished to the other side of the house, or universe if possible. This is not sexist. It's about saving lives. Ironically, toilets are one of the few areas that men are superior to women, perhaps because they spend so much time sitting on them. Women are limited by their narrow vision of toilets as utilitarian necessities, whereas men can derive endless entertainment from scatological humor. However, the greatest superiority of men is found in their ability to clean toilets without the need for a toilet brush. Using only what God gave them, men will remove any trademark or stain, It is quite impossible for any male to resist using his fire hose for target practice while urinating. Insects beware. When a real man enters the lavatory, it's time to wake up and exit that bowl if you want to live. Couples also fight about mothers-in-law. Wives and mothers-in-law are natural antagonists. They are fighting over the same prime real estate. Some wives are possessive and seek to shut out any potential rival for their husband's affection. Mothers are naturally bound to their sons emotionally, so it can be hard for them to drop to a distant second on their son's ranking list, notwithstanding the fact that their daughters-in-law are obviously slovenly housekeepers, lousy cooks, and not as pretty as everyone had hoped. These problems get worse with the added competition for possession of the grandchildren. Children should always respect and care for their parents, but once a man grows up and marries, his wife and children must become his priority. Unfortunately. Not all mothers-in-law can come to terms with this reality, and most wives don't take well to the situation if their spouse remains married to his mom. Hint for husbands, any line that you say that includes, my mother always used to do it this way, will not end well for you. Another challenge for couples is that parents-in-law are at a different stage of life and march to a different beat. Rearing young children and managing work pressures drives a relentless pace And parents of infants often don't have time for socializing or chatting on the phone on an average workday. The early evening period is often called the whining and dining hour, as in whining, W-H-I-N-I-N-G, for young families, because tired and irritable parents return from work to bathe and feed tired and irritable children. This is a time of family intensity. So when grandparents drop by cheerfully for a social visit and want to play with the grandchildren, it's the last thing the parents want. The children get hyped up, so when the grandparents leave, the parents are even more distraught and exhausted. The mother-in-law wonders why her daughter-in-law is so inhospitable, and the daughter-in-law comes to dread the friendly evening visits. This leads to strained relationships. It is my personal observation that mothers-in-law have the greatest sway in determining the quality of the relationship with their daughters-in-law. Those that are welcoming without being overbearing, and especially those who are willing to lend a hand during the incredibly challenging period of rearing infants, will usually get the best results in terms of emotional closeness. It's about giving the kind of help that the daughter in leads on her terms, because she's the one balancing baby's work and exhaustion. She'll accept any help gratefully at this point, even from the dreaded mother-in-law. As the old joke goes, what's the difference between outlaws and in-laws? outlaws are wanted. Another big source of conflict in marriage is that men don't grow up. Wives often refer to their husbands as an extra child. Besides having to put up with a partner who has the maturity of a teenager, many women also endure the humiliation of their children finding their husbands' puerile jokes amusing. Because men have a childish sense of humor, small children and adolescents are on the same wavelength and find them funny. My wife regularly says to the children, stop laughing at his jokes, it just encourages him. There is probably a female gene that codes for the right time to stop clowning around. Unfortunately, this crucial piece of DNA is absent in many husbands, even those in their 40s, 50s, and 60s. Men frequently make jokes at the wrong times, leading to exasperation on the part of their wives In the predictable line, can't you just be serious for once so that we can have an adult conversation? Men are prone to repetitive jokes because most are missing the part of the brain that identifies when jokes have grown tired. The best way for wives to manage this is to deploy the phrase, the first time was funny, the second time was silly, the third time earns a slap. This problem is exacerbated by the so-called seven-year itch. A woman may find her husband's humor and haplessness endearing initially, but after about seven years, these idiosyncrasies become grating and irritating, Many men cannot recognize when the time has come to change from being cute to being useful and adult. Unfortunately, in this case, the only hope for wives is that they have a daughter. When she grows up, she will provide the adult company her mother longs for, while the men in the family stare blankly at a football bouncing around on a screen, making infantile jokes, and swearing at the referee. The two mature adult women can have an intelligent conversation while the men ogle boobs in the background. Daughters can be taught the hundred different ways to roll their eyes disapprovingly at husbands from an early age. And finally, some advice on how to overcome conflict. Love, goodwill, and compromise can overcome most of the conflicts I've described. Disagreement can be managed as a normal and healthy process in relationships. It allows partners to express and work through their concerns collaboratively, Overcoming adversity creates a sense of accomplishment and fulfillment, the keys to existential happiness. How couples approach and manage difficulties will determine the success of a relationship. Both partners must have the freedom to express their opinions even if they differ, and issues should be shared constructively. Frustration and anger are inevitable in human politics but it is healthier for couples to argue than for either partner to feel unable to express an opinion because of a threat of control. Styles of arguing may differ, but most couples benefit from ongoing open dialogue and even hearty debate about their hopes, concerns, and needs. Some couples even enjoy a bit of shouting and high-expressed emotion. Not a bad scenario if it ends up with mutual agreement about a solution or a decision that seems even better than one's original stance. The greatest outcome is if conflict leads to a better understanding of each other, a loving embrace, or better still, passionate makeup sex. Thanks for listening to another episode of Happy Healthy Ever After. Make sure you subscribe to the show in your podcast app so you don't miss an episode. And I'd love you to share this podcast with any friends, family, or colleagues who might be interested in the show. The content and opinions on these podcasts are my own and do not reflect the views of my employer or affiliates. Content is not intended as a substitute for professional health and relationship advice.